1: For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me.
0: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin, and how did they end? Let's find out on episode 53, The Wars of the 730s BC. Previously on The Fan of History, Tiglath-Pileser III, the greatest Assyrian who ever lived, became the king of Assyria and took the empire on a joyride conquering everything in sight so dan before we begin i heard on the news well i read on the news that you are actually number 1 in podcasting in sweden
1: i am actually number 1 on the itunes top 100 chart for sweden this is uh, this is success <laughs> This is the breakthrough after four years of YouTubing and podcasting. I am now in the newspaper. (laughs) I am everywhere. (laughs) And it happened with my side project to the murder podcast. I mentioned my podcast about the unsolved murder of the Swedish prime minister, Olof Palme, in 1986, which you might get to hear about on Fan of History if we don't get past 701 BC. Mm -hmm. Uh, That podcast is number 19 on the Swedish 100 top list. Uh, But then I decided that uh, I could do another crime podcast using the same procedures. So I did a podcast about serial killers. And uh, yeah, it was like a fun project. So I started that. I had a friend come on. He has not podcasted before. And uh, when I recorded the episode with him, uh, the podcast had 300 listeners and now it has 100,000 wow
2: that is amazing so and his
1: episode hasn't aired yet so uh, <laughs> he's pretty scared right now <laughs>
2: performance and,
1: anxiety yeah it's uh, it's been a hectic week it's uh, yeah maybe we should talk about serial killers from history on this podcast as well we could do that in the future
2: Oh, we've talked about some already, I'm certain. <laughs>
1: yeah, I would m- categorize them as mass murderers. Mass murders, <laughs> yes. Yeah, there was nothing serial about Aspen the Second. There's no method,
2: just kill everyone.
1: Uh, definitely method, but uh, it wasn't like a cool-down period and uh, like a small number of victims with a long period between <laughs> them. So what I think happened actually is that uh, Swedish podcasting is very dominated by celebrities like TV personalities and uh, radio personalities and uh, PR companies, etc. And they make podcasts like you make radio. Uh, Many of them have seasons like they do 10 super highly produced episodes and then they are off the air for six months. And uh, coming from this background, having done this with you for two years, having listened to all the American podcasts, I I almost identify as an American podcaster now because uh, Sweden is a couple of years behind. So, for example, they don't prioritize what iTunes care about, like iTunes reviews. So I am like Patreon, iTunes reviews, and people in... In Sweden are like patreon. This is black magic. Why do you want money? Must be scam <laughs> Why do you want money? Yes, yeah, so I'm um, uh, Of course, I'm getting a flood of hate right now, and I'm very happy that I've done magic videos with you and others uh, for four years because I have dealt with all of this before but uh, yeah it's it's people like, oh, this is the best thing I ever heard. And people are like, oh, what the hell is this? I hate you. That's
2: right. It, you absolutely cannot please everyone. For anyone out there who's aspiring to be a podcaster on your own, you have to ignore the hate because it will come no matter what. Even if you went out there, basically made a podcast and told everyone that they are awesome. Every listener who's listening right now, you're the awesome. You are awesome. You're the greatest person I know. You will get hate saying, "I'm not that awesome. How can you possibly think I'm awesome?"
1: Yeah, that's what that's what will happen. (laughs) Yes. If you follow my personal YouTube channel, uh, Don Horning with an umlaut over the O, uh, I am now uh, focusing that YouTube channel on uh, on advice for podcasters and content creators. So I'm trying to educate and I'll, I'll try to keep it in English so everyone can listen. And I do want to give a sincere thanks to everyone who listens to Fan of History, to all the patrons that this has been going, Fano History has been going on for two years. And without this experience from podcasting with you, Brennan, Dan, I couldn't have done this. So yeah, it was awesome. But now I think we're going to get some new Swedish listeners to this podcast, and uh, so I wanted to ask you, Brennan, what sure. you what, what's your impression of Sweden? Well, you know what's interesting is I met I met Dan. Gosh, this is what four years ago now. Yeah, 2013 when I accused you of being a hippie. Yeah,
2: about yeah 2013, so at least three years ago. Working on four. Um, I met Dan through his uh, magic, uh, the card game videos, and we got to know each other and started working together. But when I, you know, me coming from Texas, having an impression of what Sweden is, um, basically, I just assumed it was um, a land like how I envision the late 60s were here, just like this free love bunch of tall blonde people you know walking around without any clothes on all the time and then it got cold and you went inside it was basically because another another thing I had is I have this I have a friend who was Mormon and he had a mission in Sweden and would tell me about you know walking past the beaches where everyone was or just sunbathing not even beach like just in a park sunbathing topless and whatnot so that's that that was my impression like it was just this sort of socialistic hedonist state (laughs) (laughs) somehow you 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 all you know made enough money doing i don't know internet videos (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) uh, Yeah, magic gathering videos that you managed to sustain an entire country um but, you know, getting to know Dan, it was like, you know, a hard breakdown of reality of like, oh no, like there's, you know, crime and poverty and, you know, there's people who, not everybody's getting along. Even people who are on the same side of the political spectrum, some say they're not as left enough and people who are on the right, you know, saying, oh, you call yourself right-wing person no no you're not even close to being right-wing it's like same basic political crap that we deal with um Uh, we got our prime minister murdered (laughs) yeah your prime minister murdered that was (laughs) that was enlightening but yeah um so i kind of had this like idealistic socialist state in my head of what um sweden was but then you know It's still, uh, it's, you know, definitely not the same as here, but we
1: still have a lot of the same problems. (laughs) Yeah, we do. I think, uh, it's, um, there are more similarities than you think. Right. And
2: uh, I, I wouldn't have known that had I not gotten to know you, I would have still believed, you know, everybody was topless and smoking weed all
1: day. (laughs) Yeah, that happens too. Not the topless part anymore. But oh, right. <laughs> they do smoke weed, uh, yeah. we have never met. Nope,
2: never face to face. A
1: yeah, someday we should.
2: I know. I say that all the time. Um, before we started doing this, like a long time ago, I was in the closest I've been was Spain, but man, that is, <laughs> that's been ten years ago. now. <laughs> next door. Yeah, next door. Next door compared to. Here,
1: <laughs> I've been to Arizona, Florida. That's pretty close to you.
2: That's pretty close. Yeah, that's within but, uh, a, a day's drive.
1: Yeah, that thing. Uh, okay, but that's not what we are here to talk about. We are to talk about seven thirty BC. Sorry for that long. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope you appreciate it. But uh, the, yeah, let's talk history. All right, I have something else to talk about, actually, first, because I've launched another podcast, and it's the sister podcast of this one. It's fan of astronomy, because astronomy is also one of my passions, and so much is going on in astronomy during the last few years, and I started it with a guy called, I'm going to butcher his second name, Angelo Palucci,
2: mm-hmm.
1: from uh, Pittsburgh, also an American, And uh, with more experience of podcasting than I have, he did the Pit Imps podcast for Magic the Gathering as well. That's how I met him. Mm -hmm. And he has this burning passion for astronomy, which I have as well. So we're modeling the podcast after this one. And we have done one episode so far about the Earth and about the closest exoplanet to our solar system, Proxima Centauri b. So check that out. It just went up on uh, iTunes, but it's also on YouTube. So now we're going to talk the 730s BC.
2: 730s. Let's get moving on. What is happening in the 730s that we should be on the lookout for here, Dan?
1: Well, remember five years earlier when the Empire was almost gone? We did a full episode about making Assyria great again. <laughs> it looked like it would die, but damn Tiglath-Pileser III came along, spent five years just doing a lifetime of work. But he's not done, and he will not be done for the whole 730s BC. So this is pretty much the Tiglath-Pileser III victory tour to the uh, through the Middle East. And when he's done, when this when this decade is done the Neo-Assyrian Empire will be bigger than it ever was. So, I've decided to split the 730s in three parts, but this part is about TP3 and the wars. So you will get the full Assyrian story in this episode, because the Greeks are taking over the podcast. There will be two Greek episodes after this. Next episode, we'll talk about how the Greeks colonized the Mediterranean in like five minutes. (laughs) and then Devon will spend a whole episode talking about one event in Greece the first Mycenaean war so it will be our first real story episode so that will be interesting it's like a contained story in one episode instead of this jumping around that we intend to do oh that would be cool but now we have to go to Egypt our favorite place
2: (laughs) oh Egypt
1: yeah it's the pharaoh, or one of the pharaohs, Egypt, filled with pharaohs this time. <laughs> yeah, there's
2: more pharaohs than you can shake a stick at in Egypt right now.
1: Yeah, but this one is uh, the first among equals. He's Shoshank V of the 22nd dynasty. And I used to believe that the 22nd dynasty dies with Shoshenk, but uh, there, are, there, there are some people that will carry on the 22nd episode, so we will, uh, the 22nd dynasty. So we will not uh, finish or and spend like, time mourning, mourning the 22nd dynasty today. This guy, the V, also referred in history books to as the IV. <laughs> Very confusing. He reigned, he reigned for 38 years. That seems like a long uh, time for a pharaoh. Yeah, that's super long, and he did not get to see what will happen to Egypt in the 720s because things are about to change in Egypt, that the V died not knowing this was about to happen. Uh, we have a guy who claims the title, and he's Osorkon fourth, and he is, he doesn't have the power that the V had. It's even more limited under him. But Osir Khan IV is a lot more famous, because Osir IV will take part in certain events that has lived to our day. He's in the Bible, and uh, yeah, he, he is famous, so we'll talk a lot about him. But there's another guy who is Euput II at Leontopolis, and he is like, also, I am the 22nd dynasty. And nobody, no Yipchen calls uh, names their dynasties at this point, but he's like, I am the true pharaoh. And, of course, there's a lot of other guys that, that claim this. There's also called the fourth character. He might have been the son of Shosheng V, or he might just have said that he was the son. <laughs> but there's also a shadowy pharaoh that we know very little about called the II. And he might have been the pharaoh Osircon IV, which would put Osircon IV in the 23rd dynasty. That is going on at the same time. The 24th dynasty is also going on. And some people say that the 25th dynasty is also happening in the 730s BC. So, can we please leave Egypt now? (laughs) Yes, say my head is beginning to hurt. I can't keep up with this, Dan. (laughs) Four dynasties and like 20 smaller independent kings in Egypt. Okay, Assyria.
2: Assyria. Uh, nice.
1: Siglas Bleser III. The, uh, the Urartians in what is today Armenia, uh, they are spreading their influence into Mania to the east of Assyria and to the southeast of Urartu, And there is a small uh, kingdom there called Uluba. It's part of the Kabku. And this is actually, now uh, I uh, made a mistake because this is uh, north of Assyria, and south of Iraq. It's, uh, it's not in Mania. Ah, okay. This place, uh, Uluba, is only 100 kilometers, that's uh, 60 miles from Nineveh, <laughs> from the ancient Assyrian city of Nineveh. Right. And there is a mountain range called Mount Nal that. Totally separates these two places. You can't go between them. Oh, you have okay. to go around. So this place has been independent despite the fact that the Assyrian Empire has been going on for 180 years right next door. <laughs> uh, but now Tiglath Pileser III is in charge, so he claims that Ulubu, Uluba is the, uh, there are many names for this place, but Uluba. Uh, that they were about to invade the Assyrian Empire, which seems pretty <laughs> unbelievable to me. That's also, uh, seems far fetched at best. <laughs> I'm sure the Rachan said that we will give you assistance. We are dying to go down from our mountain fortresses and go into the Neo Assyrian Empire, but you guys, you go first. Yeah. But uh, TP3 shows up, he goes around the mountain range for the first time in <laughs> maybe a thousand years. <laughs> and uh, he attacks this place. And uh, yeah, it's the best king Assyria ever had. Uh, their army is modernized. Yeah, the Uluba doesn't stand a chance. And he grabs all the people in Uluba and deport them to a place called Tushka. And we'll see that tiglath the III and future Assyrian kings, they love this old asher policy of taking everyone and putting them on another uh, problem border where people will identify them as Assyrians. And then they have to fight for the empire. Whether they like it or not. Yeah, they will fight for the empire or die. Uh, then... Next year, 738 BC, Tiglath pileser III turns his eye towards Syria. I used to think, I talked about this before, I used to think that I knew what the difference was between Assyria and Syria, but there is a lot of Assyrians and Syrians in Sweden, and they are telling me that I have no idea, and uh, they have proved this to me, but I, I know the difference in the 730s BC, because Syria is where the country of Syria is today. And the Assyrians are in northern Iraq. So, but now TP3 does the Western Walk, and uh, the Syrians, the kingdoms that are in Syria at the time, the Neo-Hittite, the Arameans, they have seen what happened to Luba the previous year. Right. So they have formed an anti-Assyrian alliance, led by Asriau, and that is not Azariah, the king of Judah pretty confusing, they spell almost the same, Asriyaw, and he has united a couple of North Syrian city-states and uh, uh, the Kingdom of Hamath, parts of the Kingdom of Hamath, there are Assyrian loyalists in Hamath, but they are like, we will beat TP3, and they send out messages to everybody that, now it's the time, we're going to beat the Assyrians. But some states, they are looking at what TP3 has done so far, and they are like, no way, we're not in this. Before anything happens, we'll send our tribute to Tiglath pileser III and <laughs> tell him how loyal we are. Right. Like, we don't want any part of this. <laughs> and this includes the most powerful Neo-Hittite city-states, Karkemish, who have done an incredible job at juggling Assyrian diplomacy, because they are still around, they are still rich... And they are right next door to Assyria. It includes Melid, Kumuku, Gurgum, Tabla, Tuna, Samal, Kaska, and Q. Do you remember Q? I do remember Q. Yeah, the kingdom that defied Shalmaneser III. It's still around, but they're not going to defy TP3. There's also this wonderful person that I would love to know more. Sabibe. Uh, more about Sabibe, Queen of the Arabs. And she shows up and pays tribute to TP3. And uh, pretty much all of southern Syria also joined the TP3 train and pay tribute. This includes Damascus, Byblos, Tyre, Samaria, that is Israel. And then TP3 shows up, and the people who paid tribute, they are like, yes, call that one! And the people who didn't pay tribute, guess what happened to them? They were sent fruit
2: baskets and quietly sent to their rooms.
1: No, they were then uh, defeated. Yes. (laughs) There is no record of any massacres. It's just deportations. But... uh, no one in Syria can resist uh, this guy, our favorite general, Tiglath-Pileser III. He even does this so quickly that he managed to raid into Babylonia in the same year, to the south. That is south uh, southern Iraq today, so he raids from Assyria into Babylonia. And this is probably on request from the Babylonian king, because he only fights uh, ravaging bandits, that is, Arameans that are in the countryside. And uh, he captures a lot of Armenians and deport them to other borders. Like, go ravage this place and stuff. (laughs) Okay, TP3. (laughs) I'll do what you say. We have another wonderful thing from 738 BC. This is very interesting, because it's about pirates. Pirates? Yes. It's the Assyrian governor of Tyre and Sidon, uh, the Phoenician cities that are now Assyrian vassals. There is a, TP3 put an Assyrian governor there with the very name, (laughs) the very easy name of Kurdi Ashur Lamur. And he sends a report to TP3. And the Assyrians call these guys Ionians, but they are Greeks, probably Carians. So there are Greeks attacking the city of Muruna, the city of Harisun, one other city. And they are stealing people as slaves and they are taking stuff. But uh, this governor, he also says that I took my Assyrian soldiers and I beat the crap out of these Greeks. And I pursued them to the midst of the sea which is probably a blatant lie because we know that no Assyrian will go on the sea because Assyrians are super scared of the Mediterranean. They're
2: the the Dothraki.
1: Yes, they are. He probably sent some Phoenicians that he had power over because the Phoenicians are the best sea travelers in the world. So they're like, you go pursue those Greeks. I wonder where they're coming from because I don't know anything beyond the Mediterranean. Uh, There is a very similar report from a Persian satrap in 520 BC. So Greek piracy uh, of the uh, Levant coast will be happening for 200 years. And I think this was one of the reasons why the Persians attacked Greece uh, in the 5th century. But we'll we'll talk talk about that much later. (laughs) Getting a little ahead of ourselves. Yeah, let's go back to the next year, 737 B.C. Now, Tree he's gone west and south uh, last year. So now it's time to go east. And this is Mania and the Medians. This is the Sagros Mountains of uh, Persia, of what is today Iran. And not Persia, it's not Persia yet. And, uh, yeah, he, he was here in 744 B.C., and... Everybody who met him in 744 BC, when they hear about this, they just pay their tribute and roll out the red carpet and they're like, welcome back, (laughs) Tiglath-Peleser. But but then there are these guys who weren't around in 744 BC or didn't run into the Assyrian army and they're like, oh, we can resist him. But uh, they can't. So... (laughs) TP3 proceeds into media as far as Sakruti, Mount Bikini. No it's Bikni. Bikini Bikini. It's, it's called Alvant today and uh, into the salt deserts of Iran, which are incredibly hostile. They are still around. It's one I think one of the heat records of the world is from one of these salt deserts. They are totally horrible places. That's, it sounds awful. Yeah, and when he runs into them, he decides that, ah, okay, I'll I'll steer right and go into other territory that hasn't seen the Syrians before, so he comes right up to the border of the ancient kingdom of Elam, which is in southern Iran, and uh, then goes back to the Tigris. And there is a super long list of all the cities that were scared to death of this attack. And I, I want to go through this. There were also three Babylonian fortresses that tiglath pileser took. And I assume those were Babylonian fortresses that the Babylonian king had lost to mountain tribes and stuff like that. Because I don't think tiglath keeps them, but he returns them to the Babylonians, but I'm a little unsure there. And the sources for this campaign are horrible. They are fragmentary, and we don't know the precise locations of the geographic names. But we know that Tipitri is in the kingdom of Namri. This is the small kingdom north of Elam. They are like cousins of the Elamites. And he, we also know that he gains control of Parsua. This is ancient, the ancient home of the Persians. So the Persians are one of those people that are like scared to death of TP3 in 737 BC uh, the king of Namri uh, who is uh, no sorry Ilippi Namri is the Kassite kingdom this was also touched by this campaign Elippi is the small Elamite Kassian kingdom and it has a king called Dalta and you have to remember this guy Dalta of Ilippi because he will be around forever and Delta of Ilippi, he does the, the clever thing. When TP3 shows up, he's like, I am on team Assyria. Yes, I want to be a vassal. Can I be a vassal, please? Here is my tribute. <laughs> right. and, and TP3 goes like, oh, okay, you can be my vassal. And this guy swears loyalty to TP3, and he will keep his promise. In the darkest of times, Delta of Ilippi, will be one of the most loyal vassals Assyria ever had, and he will play important roles in our upcoming episodes. He controls this tiny, tiny kingdom in the Sagros Mountains, but remember Delta of Ilippi. I am very confused about Mania, this country in the north of the Sagros Mountains that was also invaded here. It has like 200 kings. And there's one guy who's mentioned that seems to be important. He's Iransu of Mania. And he will also be back. And this blow to the East, this giant campaign that we know so little about, it's, it sets the stage for a lot of stuff in the 710s BC. Because now these people know what the Assyrians can do. And they will either remember it like Dalto of or forget about it. <laughs> Convenient memory. And the Elamites, they're like, why are there Assyrians on our border? (laughs) This is not good. (laughs) And we will find out in later episodes that the Elamites, this mysterious kingdom that is older than Babylonia, older than Assyria, it's been around forever. And their army can actually fight Assyrians successfully. And this is a mystery to me, but we'll talk about that later. We've known that the Assyrians never run into armies that can stand against them on the open field of battle, but the Elamites—they have—they will score victories against Assyrian field armies. That seems unheard of. Yeah, it's—we'll uh, get into that uh, in the seventh tens. Okay. <laughs> In 736 BC, Uluba, remember the tiny kingdom mm. behind that mountain? Right. And they rebel somehow. Uh, and we don't know anything about this except that they are totally crushed this time. And an, a new capital of Uluba is made into a province of Assyria. So no vassalage for Uluba now that they rebelled again. <laughs> And a new city is built, ashur ikisha And this is really bad for Urartu because this is right on the doorstep to Urartu. So now the Assyrians have an excellent bridgehead for getting into. They don't have to start on the other side of the mountain range, but now they have the city right next door to Urartu. In uh, 736 BC as well, Jotham... Uh, the king of Judah at this time. He is deposed by his own citizens. uh, who There is a pro-Assyrian group in Judah. And they fire him. They don't kill him. So So, Yossam is like, you are not the king anymore. We need a king who is pro-Assyrian, because otherwise... We will get crushed by the Assyrians. Right. So they basically impeached their king. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you are not getting a salary anymore. Please leave the palace. <laughs> and he does. So uh, they put Ahaz on the throne of Judah. And if Ahaz is anything, he is pro-Assyrian. And he's extremely good at kissing Assyrian feet. He is also a super loyal vassal to the Assyrians. And that will work for him some of the time and will be super bad for him some of the time. Now the Urachians in Armenia, they are noticing that uh, this is so bad. <laughs> the TP3 went east, he's everywhere, he has beaten the Syrians, he's beaten the, uh, the eastern tribes. And he's taken the city right next to our door, so there is a fight with Urartu. But the sieges are, uh, the sources are really bad. But we know that tp Tree invades Urartu, and it's been a long time. I don't think any Assyrian king has been in Urartu in the mountains, this hostile terrain uh, that the Assyrians do not like at all. But TP3 marches right up to the Uratian capital. And remember what he did to make this possible. Do you remember one of his greatest inventions?
2: Oh, dang it. (laughs) Put you on the spot there. Yeah, you did.
1: Boots? Uh, Soldier boots. Yes, boots. So the Uratians are like, well, when, when the Assyrians come to our country, they can't stay because they don't have anything on their feet. They have sandals. And then the snow comes, and they're like, ah, we better go home. Yeah. But now they have boots. So the Assyrians are staying. So they're laying siege to Tushpa, the capital of Urartu. And Saduri, the king of uh, Urartu, he is in the capital. he's like, ah, this is not good. Why did this happen to me? (laughs) There hasn't been an Assyrian king in Urartu for a 100 years. But now this very super king stands at my gate. And Uh of course, TP3 brags about this. He says that he defeated the army of Saduri outside the city. Which is like, why were they outside the city? Because the Russians, they are super good at building fortresses and walls and stuff, and their cities are extremely hard to take. And I think this is all Assyrian bragging, Assyrian propaganda, like we're used to. Because the city stands, the siege fails, and TP3 goes back home. Oh my goodness. And of course, he records this as a fantastic victory, and it kind of was. He accomplished something that no no king had done in such a long time. And the Urachians are scared to death. The, the downward spiral is broken now, and in their relations, the Urartu is. Yeah, they have to work on this now. And pretty much all the frontiers are safe of Assyria in 735 BC. And this is, okay, I'm going to give something away for the 710s. There will be an even greater invasion of Urartu by another Assyrian king. And This could not have been done without this campaign in 735 BC. So it sets the stage for Sargon's great adventure, (laughs) which we are going to talk about in 714 BC. We'll spend the whole episode in the year 714 BC following Sargon II when he does stuff that no Assyrian king has done before him. He tells us about a battle. And what actually happened in the battle. Because the Assyrians, they don't tell us their battle tactics. But Sargon will. Right. Uh, yeah, in Israel. Uh, Israel paid their tribute. Israel is a vassal state, but Israel is still around, but not for long. And it survived because of Menahem. Menachem, the king of Israel. He was this guy who uh, ripped open the pregnant women. And yeah. he knew he knew <laughs> the Assyrian style of dealing with people, so he submitted. And despite him being a tyrant then, according to the Bible, and despite all the threats around him, Menachem dies peacefully of natural causes, which is quite an achievement in this time. <laughs> to live to an actual ripe old age and not be murdered. Yeah, and he leaves his throne to his son Pekahiah, And uh, of course, the Old Testament is written mainly during the Babylonian captivity in the 6th century BC, and at that time they did not appreciate any king who was who, who liked like Phoenician Assyrian gods. And Menachem did kind of, so he received super bad press in the Bible. But now Pekahiah. He also receives bad press in the Bible. It's said that he continued the practices of Jeroboam and the sins of Jeroboam. We talked about Jeroboam. He is the one who gets the really bad press. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything
2: Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?
0: Pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365 day returns.
1: in the Bible. (laughs) But Pekahaya saw what his dad did, and he's like, I will continue this policy. I will pay my tribute to the Assyrians. I will not fight Tiglath-Peles III. Uh, Same year, still. Saduri II, the king of Urartu, he survived the siege and it, the Assyrian army left his country and then he died and uh, we have no idea why. Hmm. And then maybe Saduri II, it doesn't seem like that in this episode, but uh, he did a couple of things in our early episodes. so maybe he is the greatest king Urartu ever had. He did a ton of stuff for Urartu. But now, his, his someone who claims to be his son takes power in Urartu, his name is Rusa. He is probably more famous, because Rusa will take part in Sargon's great adventure. And there are no pictures of Rusa. And he has this strange inscription that he claims that he, he took the crown, or like, he took the crown of Urartu with his two horses. And that Mm. makes people think that it was a rebellion. That he... actually that there was another one, there was another son uh, or someone else who should have been the king, but that didn't work out and now Rusa is the king of Rartu. And Rusa has a plan to deal with this new superpower Assyria. And he will work on the eastern tribes. He will work on the Ammanians and the Medians and he will try again to form a really strong alliance against Assyria but this will take some time now because the Rochjans are beat down at this point uh, in 734 BC Nabu Nadin no sorry Nabonassar King of Babylon dies. And he managed to be the king of Babylon for 30 years uh, as I've uh, theorized before, I think he was the one who put Tiglath-Peles III on the throne of Assyria. And I think that was a super good call because at his death, Nabunassar does something that no Babylonian king has done Kingshi- in a long time. Kingship in Babylonia is hereditary, but nobody has succeeded for very many years in putting their son on the throne. But <laughs> But nabu does. So at his death, Nabu-Nadin-Siri becomes the king of Babylon. And this hasn't happened since 810. And he will be the only king to succeed his father in Babylon until 626 BC. Man, they should sure you like to pace, uh, space that out. Yeah, so we have almost... 200 years where this guy is the only one, the only crown prince of Babylon who managed to become the king. But there are no known Babylonian texts from the reign of Nabu Nadin Siri, this new king. And this is a super bad sign because the Babylonians love to write. And nobody's writing anything that we have during Yikes. the reign of Nabu Nadin Siri. Uh, I think we can assume that he, having succeeded to the throne, he probably wanted to be friendly to the Assyrians, but the ancient alliances were always between men, never between states. But I think this guy is rushing to Assyria and renewing the vows that they're like, oh, TP3, remember my dad, I want to do what he did. <laughs> and uh, it seems that TP3 likes this guy. He's like, oh, well, I remember your dad. Yeah, I'm sure you'll be as good a king as him. Have a good time. I am off to Gaza. And Tipi Tree goes to Gaza. That is southwest of Judah and Israel. And there are some small Philistine city-states there. So uh, Tipi Tree can just march through Syria, Israel, Judah, all of that. Everybody's just standing uh, beside him on the road cheering and throwing flowers at him. And of course the Philistine city-states, they uh, can't put up a fight, so they, they try, but uh, I don't think TP3 even stops. So the army has marches through Gaza, uh, there is a golden statue of Tiglath pileser III erected in Gaza. Uh, the king of Gaza itself, the city-state of Gaza, called Kanunu. Uh, even mentioned by the Greeks as Hanno, he tries to resist, but he has to flee to Egypt. And then he comes back from Egypt and says, I was just kidding, I want to be an Assyrian vassal. (laughs) And uh, it works. So T.P.T. says, oh, that was a funny one, you can be an Assyrian vassal.
2: So he basically went to go um, see if other Places would have them. They said no.
1: He's like, oh, okay. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be good, please. I'm sure the Egyptians threw him out. That like, no, no, <laughs> we're not hiding you. We don't want Tiglat-Fileser III going down the Nile.
2: Oh, my God. Uh,
1: but TP3 seems to uh, like the Egyptians because he builds a trading center at Gaza. Which I'm sure Kanunu is really happy about. And he also erects a statue of himself on the Egyptian border. Uh, there is a place called Nakal Musri, the Brook of Egypt. And here it puts up a statue of himself. Hey, if you think about invading anything, just look at this statue and think again. <laughs> it's
2: his calling card.
1: But the Egyptians don't mention any of this. So they're like, oh, nothing happened. In uh, 733 BC, Pekahiah, the king of Israel, the son of Menachem, is assassinated. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, it turns out that Pekah, the son of Remaliah, uh, does the deed. He has 50 men of Gilead, and he's from Gilead himself. And uh, With these 50 men, he uh, somehow kills Pekahiah and takes the throne of Israel. And uh, this seems way too easy. And one of the reasons this worked is probably because Pekka was extorting everybody in Israel in order to be able to pay the heavy tribute payments to the Assyrians. And then when Pekka is the king, he can't pay the tribute to Assyria because he's probably accepted as the king because he told everybody that I will make Israel great again. I will <laughs> oh, stop no. paying to these stupid foreigners." So he is like, uh, I will probably get invaded by Tiglath-Peles III, so I better act quickly. Is there anyone who is willing to resist the Assyrians at this point? He sends out feelers and he finds Rehazin, the king of Damascus, right next door, the Aramean kingdom of Damascus. Rehazin is also fed up with the tribute. And Tipitri is not around. He's back in Assyria. They're like, ah, oh, we can do this. We, we should get more allies. What about you, Ahaz of Judah? Right. You, are our, you are our neighbor. You need to join us. And together we have three strong armies. We can fight the Assyrians. So, what would you have replied if you were Ahaz? <sighs> these, these neighbors are more powerful than you are. Damascus and Israel could crush Judah if they wanted. Right. But hmm. you also know of TP3 and the Royal Assyrian Army. Yeah.
2: I gotta go with siding with TP3.
1: So, and uh, yeah, that's what he does. Yeah. I'm sure he tried to delay a decision. I was like, oh, hang on. Uh, <laughs> Wait, I'll tell you next week. <laughs> right. I don't, but this, I,
2: I'll say, I don't I think uh, something like this requires an immediate response. <laughs> I can't imagine. He's like, oh, no, no, you can think about it. That's fine.
1: Yeah, so Israel and Damascus invade Judah. And they're like, we are taking out this guy. He's not siding with us. So uh, Pekka has a field day, uh, the king of Israel in Judah. He takes a number of captives and he brings them to Samaria. Uh, But, of course, they are all Jews. They are all Hebrews and they are brother peoples. So a prophet turns up, Oded. And tells him what the Lord uh, thinks about this, like, God does not approve of you, Pekka. And Pekka is like, "Uh Uh, Uh uh-oh, that's not good. So please, uh, all my captives, go back. So he releases all his captives. But then Rezin shows up with the Damascus army, and Pekka is like, let's go back to Judah. And uh, they crush the, the Judah army, uh, and uh, Ahaz is, uh, flees to Jerusalem and puts all the soldiers he has in Jerusalem. Uh, other prophets show up and are like berating Pekka for this misdeed, uh, Isaiah among them. And uh, Pekka says that, hey, I'm not going to do anything to Judah, I'm going to put this guy Random Hebrew guy, <laughs> as the king of Judah, that Ahaz doesn't open the gates of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is a strong city. We'll see just how strong Jerusalem is in this century. So there's a siege, but they have not taken Jerusalem yet. So what do you do then if you are Ahaz? Ooh. Well, hmm. What's your biggest expense in the state budget of Judah? I would guess defense. Uh, And Assyrian tribute. And Assyrian tribute, yes. That is a huge expense. As we have seen before, Assyrian tribute is heavy. People will revolt against it. But it isn't one-sided. You have rights as an Assyrian vassal you have the right to request protection. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is protection money that actually gives you something. <laughs> right. It's not just a scam. They will show up No, it's not and just help. a scam. Because the Assyrians love to fight people, <laughs> and they love to have an excuse, and somebody attacking an Assyrian vassal, that's a super good excuse. So Ahaz sends a message to Tiglath-Peles III, and Hey, I'm your loyal vassal, Ahaz. And these guys... They are attacking me. They are bullies. Can you do something about it? <laughs> and tiglath III goes like, hey, I need to go on campaign every year, and I haven't decided on the target for 733 BC. So what if I make Damascus the target to start with? So a, a pretty fast invasion of Damascus occurs, and Rezin, the king of Damascus, he is besieging Jerusalem. But he decides that the best tactic to do, uh, the best thing to do is to break up the siege and meet Tiglath-Peles III and the Royal Assyrian Army on the field of battle. And he managed to get the help of Samsi, queen of the Arabs, a new queen of the Arabs. So some Arabs came out of the desert to help Rezin. And uh, we don't know really what Pekka did here. I think he's staying at Jerusalem, beseeching poor Ahas. But of course, this idea to face Tiglath-Peles III in open battle is not the brightest of ideas. So the army of Damascus is crushed, the Arabs defeated, some sea flees back into the desert. The Assyrians have not yet gone into the desert. Uh, But Rehazen has to flee, he should have gone to the desert with the Queen of the Arabs, but he flees to Damascus. And thus Tiglas Pellicer III besieged Damascus. We saw TP3 fail in uh, Tushpa in Urartu, but he doesn't fail very often. This is the greatest siege craft of the age. Nobody's better at besieging cities than the Assyrians. But this siege lasts only 45 days and then Tiglath-Pileser III goes back home and we have no idea why. That's weird. And Damascus is laid waste, just like Shalmaneser III did in Damascus. They take special care to destroy all the orch- orchards, 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 orchards. Yeah, because uh, Damascus is a really rich and nice place, and not anymore. They also managed to find the hometown of the king, the hometown of Rezin, Bitkadara, and they take everybody in the king's hometown (laughs) and deport them. And then they go back to Assyria, and we don't know what happened. So Rezin is like, "I, I survived the Assyrians... (laughs)
2: It's all bragging about it.
1: Yeah, but the next year Tiglas Pellicer III comes back to Damascus. (laughs) And this time we know even less, but we know that Damascus falls and never returns. This is the end of Aram Damascus. It's been a nail in the eye of many Assyrian kings. Remember, these guys were the leaders of the anti-Assyrian alliance at the Battle of Karkar. Right. And they have been resisting the Assyrians for so long, but now it's over. It's made into a Syrian province. And uh, its territory stretches from the Lebanon in the north to the Gilead in the south. It's a huge province. And uh, it's over for, the, the, for Damascus. We'll see Damascus again, uh, as an Assyrian province, but then I think it's just the name that uh, historians use to identify the place, because the Kingdom of Aaron Damascus ends here, destroyed by Tiglath-Pileser III. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, and of course the siege of Jerusalem is still going on, and it's been a year. So, at this point, uh, with this victory, TP3 should have continued to help Judah, but he can't (laughs) because Tyre, the leading Phoenician city on the coast, they rebel. (laughs) And we'll see Tyre rebelling all the time. There is a future king of Tyre who is an expert at rebelling against Assyria and surviving somehow. Uh, But uh, Three has to invade Tyre, the territory of Tyre, takes another fortified city that belongs to Tyre. But the king of Tyre, Hiram, he is like, "Uh, this is not going well, I am submitting and paying my tribute. And he says to Tipitree, Three, like, uh, I know you have stuff to do in Jerusalem, please go do that, here's my tribute. This was all a misunderstanding. He thought we said revolt, but we we said um, something else. We said hugs. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) hugs. (laughs) So so please leave us. We'll never, never, nothing like this will ever happen again. And it works. So Tyre survives, Hiram survives, and TP3 proceeds to invade Israel. Pekka has to go from Jerusalem to uh, Israel and try to defend his capital, Samaria. First, he tries to stop the Assyrian army before they get to Samaria. That doesn't work. So he has to flee to Samaria, and then Tiglas Peles III, for the second time in his life, is standing outside of Samaria, the capital of Israel, with his army. Last time Menachem uh, submitted, but Pekka has shown that he has not submitted, and this could very well have been the end of Israel. The end of Israel is coming very soon, but this could have been it. Unless Hoshia would have acted. Hushia is a guy in Samaria. He's captain in the army. And he decides that the solution to this problem is that I kill the king, Pekka. So he kills the king. Wow. And then he says, I'm with the Assyrians. I think we should be a vassal state. And people are like, uh, they look over the walls, they see Tiglath-Peles III standing there, tapping his feet. Right. And they're like, hey, this seems like a really good policy. (laughs) And uh, we have a report from this event, from Tiglath-Peles III himself, or from his scribes, because Tiglath-Peles III cannot read and write, because reading and writing is unmanly. Yes. And super hard, if you use a very complicated language. But uh, the propaganda machine of Assyria says that Omri house, which means Israel, overthrew their king Pekka, and I placed Hushia as king of them. I received from them ten talents of gold, one thousand talents of silver as their tribute, and I brought them to Assyria. So he probably took a lot of people as well and deported them <laughs> like They always do. Yes. I sure do love mixing it up. So Israel is now decimated. Israel is a vassal state again, and they have to pay tribute. And this has removed all the traces of the golden age of Jeroboam that the Bible is so skeptical about, because now there is no golden age in Israel. And the, the state is throw, really torn between the people who think that paying tribute to the Assyrians is a good idea and the people who think that another rebellion would be brilliant. Uh, having seen these events, a lot of states uh, pay extra tribute, to tiglath Alistair III. And we have this list that has been super useful for uh, historians because... Piglas the III names every king in every kingdom uh, around uh, in the area, so you can yeah. track a lot of people with in this big statement. I'm got, not going to read it all, but we can mention that uh, Kanunu of Gaza, the guy who got the trading center and a golden statue of a uh, guy who fled to Egypt, mm-hmm. he is like first in line. He's like, I am on team Assyria. <laughs> Also, Samsi, queen of the Arabs, come out of the desert and uh, brings along some new Arab tribes. And they are all like, ah, we were always on team Assyria. And uh, yeah, now, the goal for this area for tiglath e was probably to like, take everything up to the border of Egypt. But there are still some places that are not vassals. So, still in 732 BC, in the same year, the Third marches in, takes control over the Sinai. Sina- Is that the English pronunciation? Um, Sinai? See. Sinai? Uh, it's a, what's that? I'm going to say Sinai.
0: Yeah, it's the road to Egypt. Yeah.
1: Um, there is an Arab sheikh called Idi Bil. He managed to get the job as a gatekeeper on the border of Egypt. So he's working for the Assyrians and has this nice title on his business cards. <laughs> I, I don't know how that happened. He made a career of gatekeeping at the border of Egypt. And there's also a very weird report of the Meunites... A people whose land is said to be below Egypt, they pay tribute to Tiglath-Peleser. And we have no idea who these guys are. It's not the Kushites, because the Kushites will make a major appearance in uh, the 720s. And the kingdom of Nubia is growing strong. So we have, mm, these could have okay. been Ethiopians or people living in... Um, uh, like on the coast of the Arabian Peninsula or something but gotcha. I, I don't know who they are if anybody knows please let us know uh, the Arab tribes the free Arab tribes of the desert they are conflicted about this event and about this Arab sheik getting an Assyrian job so there's like a civil war between the Arab tribes uh, there are important trade routes that they control through the desert and uh, they are torn between being loyal to the Assyrians and being anti-Assyrian. But it seems that the the Assyrian, the pro-Assyrian party in uh, among the Arabs, they win. Oh wow! Yeah, I mentioned the 24th Dynasty. Right. There is a pharaoh of the 24th Dynasty in 732 BC, Shepsesretefnake. Uh, we are going to ignore the 24th Dynasty. They are. <laughs> They're kind of like an artifact. They have one city size. And uh, I think this was when Manitho, the the historian who uh, designed this dynasty system for Egypt, much, much later, he was probably drunk when he introduced the 24th (laughs) dynasty. So I I don't think I'm going to mention them again, but uh, maybe I'll name-drop them later, but it's totally irrelevant. The 25th dynasty, though, Pretty important. Uh, in 732 BC, there is a revolt in Babylon. Uh, remember Nabu Mukin Siri No, this uh, the son, Nabu Shuma Ukin. God, these Babylonian names. Oh, wow. yeah, <laughs> the they're... son who managed to succeed to the throne. He is. Um, he has a re- revolution on his hands. And it's led by the Chaldeans, again, this time from the Bit Amukani tribe, living in the marches in the sea land in the south of Babylon. And when one Chaldean tribe, one Chaldean tribe, revolts, they all do. So all the other Chaldeans join them, and the people uh, who had traditionally been anti-Assyrian, they join this as well, and Elam to the east of Babylonia, they see the rising powers here. So they send support for the revolution as well. And the poor guy who managed to succeed his father, he's killed. And then the tribal chief of the Bit Amukani, named Nabun Mukinseri, becomes the king of Babylon. And this is the beginning of a trend where anybody who is a native Babylonian, a city-dweller in Babylonia, The Assyrians, they like the city-dwellers, they feel like they are their brother-peoples. They are the only people in the world that Syria treats with kid gloves, but whenever one of them manages to become the king of Babylon, the Chaldeans will depose them. And this will happen to a couple of city-dweller Babylonian kings soon. The Chaldeans are getting very powerful, the Chaldeans are much better at fighting than the city-dwellers and they hate Assyria, and they love Elam, and Elam loves them. So there is, there is a love affair between the Chaldeans and the Elamites. So, uh, what do you think uh, tiglath pileser thinks about this? I think he
2: doesn't like it one bit.
1: <laughs> he didn't. Uh, he invades Babylonia again next year, like clockwork. <laughs> Last time he invaded Babylonia, he came to aid the king. This time, he's coming to kill the king. Coming to kill this Chaldean guy and (laughs) solve this situation once and for all, like so many other Syrian kings thought before him and will think after him. He will try to sort out the Babylonian problem once and for all. We will give you the military details when we get to the 720s BC, because this will be going on for a while, but I want to talk about the Max Malovan Cash. God, this episode will go long. I have to say, we
2: are, we are already double our normal time.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, you got a longer episode. <laughs> Tell me in the comments if you like these longer episodes, or if you really hate them, and we'll, we'll try to limit them. But my experience is that people do love when episodes go extra long. It's good for the traffic. I know you don't love it because you have work tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> we will finish this uh, within an hour or so. <laughs> just, just at least just another hour, maybe hour and a half. <laughs> in 1952, 195- Max Mallowan found a cache of diplomatic correspondence in the ruins of Kala. That's a spoiler. Kala is the Assyrian capital. But uh, these, this rich record was found in the chancery offices of the Northwest Palace in room set 10 uh, They found 300 tablets. Wow. And they were all from this period. They found a group of more than 20 letters and fragments concerning the events in Babylonia which led to the Assyrian intervention. And they paint a picture of Babylonia torn by splits and rivalries among Arameans, Babylonians, and Chaldeans which is pretty much what we have said. Right. They, they include reports from two Assyrian officers, two important Assyrians that go to Babylon to sort this out or check out what's happening and talk to people. They are Samas Bunaya and Nabunamir and they travel to Babylonia without an army. And, uh, like, just talk to people. Hey, guys, what are you thinking? We had Tiglath the III, and he's, like, choosing a target for the next year. Do you want to be the target for the next year? But uh, they are not let in to Babylon itself. Wow. And uh, they also have to go to the tribal stronghold in the south of the Bitamukhani tribe, because the king is from this tribe and he's ruling Babylonia from his own city, Sabia in the swamps. And uh, there is is a Chaldean representative in, uh, this must be in Babylon then, because this uh, Chaldean diplomat, Asino, he is standing on the wall, screaming to these two Assyrian diplomats who are not let into the city. So they have to stand outside and scream back. And they have scribes with them who record what's being <laughs> said. <laughs> so we have like the dialogue between these two Assyrian diplomats and this Chaldean diplomat. Oh, that's kind of crazy. Assyrians, here's a quote from the Assyrians. Sure. Uh, and they're they trying to talk to the city dwellers. So they're ignoring this Chaldean standing on the wall. And of course there are city dwellers standing right next to him. So they are just talking to the city dwellers because they think Chaldeans are worth less than mice. Whereas the city dwellers of Babylon, they are super cool. And they say, why do you act in hostile manner towards us for their sake? They belong among the Chaldeans. It is the Assyrian king who can show favor towards Babylon, and who will maintain your civic privileges. But uh, it didn't work. So, uh, in 731 BC, the invasion comes from Assyria. Can't say they weren't warned. No, they, they were warned so much. that They've seen this before. Remember when Samsi-Adad just made this every year? He just tore down all of Babylonia, and I don't think Tiglath-Pileser thought that he could be defeated at all here, or that his. I think his main question was, "What do I do after I won? How can I prevent this from happening again?" Because we have seen this so many times: Assyria invades Babylonia. The Chaldeans are like, yeah, this time it's going to work. The Chaldeans are beat, they flee into the marches, and the city dwellers are like, eh. (laughs) And then the Assyrians (laughs) treat them with kid gloves, and everything goes back to normal. But Tiglath Pellis III has a new plan. It's just like him, right? He invents everything, he will invent a new way of pacifying Babylon, and we'll talk about that when we get to the 720s BC. Because in 730 BC, there is a mystery, and it's the last thing we're going to talk about this uh, in this episode. Because in 730 BC, Tiglas pileser III doesn't do anything.
2: I thought it was their moral imperative to always, yeah, it was. every
1: year. It, it could have been just that we lost the record of what happened here. But there is nothing recorded for 730 BC from Assyria. So I like to imagine that uh, Tiglath-Pileser III had spent these 15 years beating everybody up. <laughs> he was like, "I am on vacation. I'm going to read a book, check my Facebook. Yeah, just like, like
2: Facebook. Yeah, chill out. <laughs> Look at Twitter.
1: You get 1,000 messages from Rorke." <laughs> <laughs> Go oh, away, and uh, yeah, that's it for this episode. Oh, that's all for this episode. So <laughs> on. <That's>
2: all. <laughs> all right. So, on our next episode, looks like we're going to take an in-depth look at the Greek colonization process.
1: Uh, that's what we'll do. There'll be two very special episodes coming up now. First is sort of theme episode, where we talk only about how Greek colonization really worked, why it happened, and why it happened in the 730s BC, and why nobody had done this before. Hmm. Why are the Greeks going out all over the Mediterranean in such a short time? And after that we'll talk about the First Messenian War, and we'll have this war story episode. I want to do a patron shout out. We- sure. We have some loyal patrons. Thank you for that. Patreon.com slash fan of history. Or the fan of history, then. Uh, first, we have the Endless Knot. And you know these guys, don't you? Oh, yeah. Endless Nuts. they, they uh, Their podcast is cool. And it's awesome. I love the beer episode.
2: Yeah, me too. That's so wonderful.
1: <laughs> so what they do is that they look at... Uh, like things in history, not like we do, no chronological stuff or great campaigns or stuff. They just look at what about beer? Right. How did people brew beer? What did it taste like? Right. And even even
2: down to why is it called beer? Like yeah. why did we pick this? Yeah, it's it's fascinating. It is a subject and then just delved into super deep all the you know, all the way you can.
1: Yeah, I highly recommend this podcast, and uh, it's a great compliment to this one, actually. So, uh, listen to both podcasts. Oh, yeah. yeah. I also want to thank. Uh, or Were you finished? Oh, no. I was, I was just going to agree with you more. I I, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, check out The Endless Knot. I want to thank Hall, Frody, and Rebecca. And I want to thank all the secret patrons who don't want me to thank them. So, thank <laughs> you, secret patrons. <laughs> Um, awesome. uh, yeah. all
2: right well don't forget please go to the youtube subscribe like and share with your friends it's very important to share um, give us a review on itunes um, facebook.com slash fan of history uh, the fan of history or patreon.com slash fan of history as dan mentioned earlier you can follow dan at twitter at Dan Horning, or me—I'm at Cerulean says hi. So, do oh, do you know
1: oh, do you know oh. what uh, what Tiglath Pileser III needs for his new policy in Babylon? Hmm. He needs iTunes reviews. <laughs> it needs iTunes reviews. Yeah. Yes. So, for every iTunes review, go to iTunes. You review Fan of History. Tiglath Palliser will get. We get this review and it will <laughs> help him somehow. Please just review us. Right.
2: Taylor is looking for your review in the future that will magically go back to the past.
1: That's and help exactly him out. right.
2: Yes, exactly.
1: And if you happen to be Scandinavian, if you're from uh, Denmark, Norway or Sweden, you can check out my award-winning podcast and Serie Murder Pod Uh, Because it's in Swedish, so only a very, very small percentage of the world population will understand (laughs) what I'm talking about.
2: Hey, that's your thing. Go for it. All right. All right. So, for this week, I'm Brennan. And I'm Dan. And this has been The Fan of History. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon.
0: Patreon.com slash fan of history.